Just before I get started, I just want to make two, uh, just say two things. Uh, Brother Paul sung this morning and just sort of got me out of sorts. Uh, that song was, they sung it well at 9 o'clock, but they did it better at 10.45. Amen. <laughs> and then, of course, Luke came and with a medley of songs, My Sheree Moore. And then, of course, the Everly Brothers. I need your love. <laughs> now, we've already been blessed musically. We've taken up our offering. Let's go home. <laughs> I want to thank Jack and those, the Chancellor Choir, for blessing us. I've already been blessed two times this morning since preaching two times. It's been a blessing. And of course, 1045 is a blessing also. Is it worth fighting for? Your marriage, your relationship. Is it worth fighting for? <sighs> Where is my picture? Where, where is it now? There she is. Oh, listen there. This is my wife, Jeannie. Uh, we've been married 11 years. Um, my wife, 24 years ago, died. Uh, my daughter was nine years old. My son was 15, and my oldest son was 19. I thought perhaps I would not find love again, but I found it, and there it is. Now, I do, I do have a little hair on the side, so everything hadn't gone yet, amen. But for 11 years, we've, we've ventured and journeyed in the vineyard. I asked Jeannie about uh, two weeks ago uh, about two or three weeks ago when it was my time to preach, I said, why don't you come and assist me uh, during the sermon? And forthrightly, she said, I ain't doing that. <laughs> well, that was crystal clear to me that I needed to do it. <laughs> what does it mean to be connected, spiritually connected, what does it mean to not only walk with each other, but so as Howard Thurman says, so be, so be enmeshed with each other, that I feel what you feel and you feel what I feel. Remember these words? Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God and in the presence of these witnesses to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted of God and signifying unto us the mystical union that exists between Christ and his church, which holy estate he adorned and beautified with his presence in Cana of Galilee. It is therefore not to be entered into unadvisedly, but reverently, discreetly, and in the fear of God. These two persons come now to be joined. 
If any man or woman can show just cause why they may not be lawfully joined together, let him or her speak now or forever hold their peace. Usually there is an eerie quietness. Speak now or ever hold your peace. I require and charge you both as you stand in the presence of God before whom the secrets of all hearts are disclosed that having considered the holy covenant you are about to make, you do now declare before this company your pledge of faith each to the other. Be well assured that if these vows are kept inviolate as the word of God demands, God will bless your marriage, will grant you fulfillment in it, and will establish your home in peace. But you ain't married yet. Almost. And then there are a series of questions that I ask or the officiant asks, will you have this woman, a man, to be your wedded wife, a husband, to live together in the holy estate of matrimony? Question mark. Hmm. Will you have this woman? And normally the question is answered by simply saying, not I do yet. I will, which simply says, you still got time. <laughs> you got time to be a runaway groom or a runaway bride. You've got time. You don't have to waste my time nor God's patience. The questions are there. Will you do that? And then that father as he has escorted that bride down the aisle, stands there, perhaps shaking in his shoes, not because of the marriage ceremony, but because his wallet has gotten a little lighter. <laughs> and the question is asked, who giveth this woman to be married to this man? You turn, look at her, then you look at your wife and you say, we do. He gives me her hand. I pass that right hand to her. He sets down. It's on now. No turning around. No turning back. Because the vows are there. Will you have this woman, this man, to be your awfully, lawfully married? <laughs> ah. Oh, you're listening intently, aren't you? <laughs> well, where was I now? <laughs> will you have her? Will you have him to be your lawfully wedded husband, a wife, will you honor him, honor her, keep her, keep him in sickness and in health and forsaken all others, 
Keep thee only unto thyself. And the answer is what? You can't run now. The answer then becomes, I do. I do. It's all over. <laughs> yeah, somebody said, help him. It's all over. At that particular point, we are embraced by the power and presence of love. We are undergirded with the love principle that simply says it's not 50%, not 60-40%. A marriage is 100%. Amen. It's 100, you, can, you, you can't get past that. You can't get past that even when I've had a long day and I walk into the house and I got a case of the grumbles. How you doing? I'm all right. You want something? I don't want nothing to eat. Well, what you want? Just let me sit down and rest a while. I got a great case of the grumbles. We move beyond where we are to a place where God wants us to be. You know how marriages are. They're good. They are good. But sometimes we hit our rough spots. Amen. And that's not the reason to bail out. Some folk just take it this this. This world of ours has taken marriage and the, 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 the covenantal relationship that God has ordained it with for granted. And we find ourselves doing things and saying things that we ought not to do. Let me hasten to say, there's, you know, I'm, I'm a night owl. I, I, I really am. I'm a night owl. Uh, and it, pay, it gets me when I try to get up early in the morning. But, but, about a three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I was at home watching TV. Had the trusted remote in my hand, flipping through the channels. Uh, I didn't want to buy a Whopper Chopper uh, or Vegematic. I didn't want any of that. But I ran across uh, a reality show. And the name of the show was called The Seven Year Itch. Seven-year itch? What is that? Well, let me tell you something. It was about these four couples. These four couples who were, who are married. And they came on this show because, and they sort of switched. The man went with another woman, and the woman went with another man, and they'd sit around and talk about what the other persons weren't doing. That's when I sat back in the chair. I said, you know, this is good sermon material. <laughs> For two weeks, one couple said, one person said to the other, I'm bored. I'm so bored. He just doesn't do anything. The, the wife would say, well, he doesn't cook breakfast anymore and bring it to the bed for me. 
He takes off his clothes and just drop them where it's, drop them right there. She does this, he does, and I sit there and I listen. I say, good grief, I'd do some of that. <laughs> but I'm not going to get mad and leave my wife because my britches are down there. No, I, I'm not going to do that. But anyway, anyway, they got to talking to each other. One couple says, well, I think we ought to go deeper into this relationship. You're married. You're married. What kind of relationship is that? The first thing that popped in my mind is simply this. It's adulterous. You ain't got to do something, but you can talk it and it be adulterous. Amen. Now, I don't know why it ended. I don't know how it ended. What I do know is I ain't watching that show no more. Paul says in these verses of scripture that love is the greatest gift. There's nothing, absolutely nothing that would deter my love for my wife or your love for your wife or your husband. There's nothing. The love principle simply says to us that we are surrounded by yards and tons and yards and tons of love. And love never fails. A car will, a refrigerator will, some electronic advice, device will fail, but love never, ever fails. Why doesn't it fail? Because it embodies, it embraces you. God calls us to love folk where they are and not particularly where we think they ought to be. We love folk where they are. So when we come in the house and we got the case of the grumpies, don't take but one or two words. It's just like honey for that bear. I love you, darling. Right to sleep. That is something embracing and impactful about love that bridges the gap, that lifts us up, that gives us a new song to sing, a God to glorify. Lifts us up. Lifts us up. I'll never forget when my two boys, all of my children are married. All of them are gone, grown and gone until they make that uh, inevitable phone call and say, Daddy, and I know what it is. I have to grab onto it real hard. I, they're grown and gone. And one of the things that my baby girl said, she's 32 now. And she said to me, Daddy, and she came over here one day. She and her fiance, I was in the office. She called and said, Daddy, where are you? I said, I'm in the office. She said, well, I'm on the outside. I said, come on in. And of course, she came in and she said this, Daddy, we're going to get married. I said, excuse me? Couldn't you have broken that to me a little more subtly? I said, Daddy, we're going to get married. I said, uh, BJ, uh, you going to marry my daughter? He say, yes, sir. I say, you sure that's what you want to do? 
He said, yes, sir. I said, boy, you're going to have something on your hands, boy. That's my child. <laughs> and we sat there for a while, and he stood up, and he simply said, Reverend McDowell, would you, would you allow me to marry your daughter? Now, remember, I've had Erin since she was nine years old. We've gone through some real, some real, um, some real, you call it, and I claim it. He said, Reverend McDonald, I want to marry her. And I said, son, why do you want to marry my daughter? He says, I want to take care of her. I said, phew. <laughs> I said, you got a job? He said, yes. Do you have insurance? He says, yes. I said, then let's make it happen. <laughs> There is something embraceable about love that brings us to a point when we stop dating, stop having fun, and we fall, as Howard Thurman says, in a deep sense, a deep conscious level of loving my partner. The world has grown cold and insensitive and we find ourselves brouharing over what marriage is and what it's not. I know what it is. It's that relationship that brings us together covenantally. It brings us together where two hearts are meshed with each other. And when two hearts are meshed with each other, two persons then are able to fight the battles of life. I know it's true, because I've been there, and I've had my own understanding of what it is to love, and what, you know, when I was in college, it was totally different. Some of you have been in college, and you've said, I love you, darling. You remember? When we took those three words, those three, three words. But there is something embracingly important about the love principle, as Paul says. Paul says, love suffers long. Love is slow to anger. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does no envy. Does not parade itself nor boost itself. Love is not puffed up, doesn't, doesn't behave angrily because love never fails. Is it worth fighting for? A long time ago, I had the privilege, a number of years back, uh, I was just out of seminary, uh, it was, it was a long time ago. I had a, I had a full-grown afro at that time. <laughs> and a couple asked me to marry them. I was in Greer, South Carolina. And they asked me to marry them. I had four churches at the time. Had gotten home, got settled in that wintry night. The phone rang and a young lady said, Ed, Reverend McDowell, would you marry us? 
Will I marry you? Yeah, I've been trained to do that. I've been trained to look at the, the vestiges and the sacraments and the rituals of the church. Yeah, I do that. I rushed upstairs, put on my clergy collar, my brown polyester suit, and, and Runda and I stood in front of the fireplace. They came, I married them. We threw rice, Ed was, Ed was in his mother's arms. Went back upstairs, changed, and about two hours later, the phone rang. I said, hello? I said, Reverend McDowell said, yes. He said, uh, this is such and such a person. Uh, do a favor for me. And I said, what? I'm, you know, I'm asking myself, why are you calling me on your honeymoon? And he said these words, Reverend, tear up the license. I said, excuse me? He said, tear up the license. I said, son, don't you know we just entered into a covenantal relationship, not only with your wife, but with the Lord? Tear him up. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Put the phone down, then the mama call, then the other mama call, then the daddy call, and... I got like Pilate. I said, I'm going to wash my hands of this. <laughs> and I got in my car, signed the license, put them in an envelope, put them in the envelope, and went down the street on Arlington Avenue and dropped that license in the mail. My brothers and sisters, there's a whole lot of stuff going on as it relates to marriages and the, and, and the strength of marriages. You just don't marry because you like somebody. You marry them, because, as Paul says, you marry them because you embrace yourself and undergird yourself with that which is God. When we think about love, we think about Christ. We think about Christ in our lives. So is it worth fighting for? Yes, it is. When I fall and can't get up, it's worth fighting for. When I'm up against the wall and there's no answers to my question, I'm fighting. When it's, when it's, when it's, when it's gloomy and the sun of love refuses to shine, it's worth fighting for. Because at the end of that that ritual, it says, what God has put together. Let no man or woman put asunder. Is it worth fighting for? Having an understanding that what love is and what is not. We are called to be love creatures joined together in matrimony. We are called to do that. We are called to embrace who we are and what God wants us to be. We are called to embrace that principle. We are to always show love. We are to always show love. love. Love will tell you the truth when you don't want to hear it. Story. Many, many years ago, uh, this church where I was pastoring here in Columbia was growing significantly. And I thought I had, you know, I was important. I was big shot, you know, I was important. 
I needed a cell phone. That was 30 years ago. Cell phone then was about $2,200. The little case that, the little bag that sat right in the middle of your console. I came home with this grandiose idea. I need a phone because I'm just that important. And I came in and I asked her, I said, uh, Rhonda, I said, uh, I think I'm going to get a phone. I, you know, I need to be in touch with my people, you know. And she didn't say anything. I walked in the back, changed clothes, and she came back and she said, hey, man, have a seat. She said, hey, man, don't you know, um, I love you, but... Uh, a cell phone is for important folk, not for average guys like you. <laughs> oh, that rung my bell. I didn't get a cell phone. It would have been best for me to just put a card on the back of a can with a long thing of yarn and say, hello, hello, do you hear me? Do you hear me? My point is simply this. Sometimes love tells you the truth. It embraces us. And then finally, we have to operate only using the principles of love. Eros, physically touch. Philos, brotherly, sisterly love. The city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And then there's agape. During my time with couples, when I am counseling them, we try to exude to them the power of agape love. So I ask this question. Supposing someone, while well, I've got this young couple in the office with me and I ask them, supposing somebody barged into, your office, into my office and they said, the preacher you can leave, but one of you is going to have to die. Would you take a bullet for that person? Ooh, you ought to see the... I say, would you? I look at the young man and he's saying, oh my Lord, why is he asking me this? The young lady says, oh my Lord, why are you asking me this? And I said, you don't have to answer, but let me tell you what I would do and, and why I would do it. I'd do it because 2,000 years ago, they put him on a cross and they died for me. He died for me. Drove nails in his hand and in his feet. He died for me. Took a spear and plunged it in his side. He died for me. Would I die for my spouse? Yes. Would I die for her? Yes. Ask my wife, would you die for me? Yeah. Is the insurance company, is the insurance all right? <laughs> Will you die? Jesus died for us. He died so that we might have love and have it more abundantly. Love that conquers. 
Love, when we're up against the wall, it becomes a buffer for our feelings. He died. An agape kind of love died. So is it worth fighting for? Yes, it is. Even when you're up against the wall, yes, it is. Even when you're fighting against yourself, yes, it is. Because he died for us. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, buried deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters, lifted me and safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifts you when nothing else would help. Love lifted us. And the church said, Amen. Amen.